This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got Graham Williams with me today. Thanks for coming on the show. Always glad to be here. We have lots of tech to talk on today's program. Uh, We'll be talking about smart home technology. Have you installed any in your house? Well, we've got uh, a guest on from Leviton about smart light switches. This is really cool stuff. Switches, light switches that you can control either through an app or your voice. We'll also be uh, having a a chat about the new Google Max home smart speaker and uh, another story about uh, Google and I guess, uh, what is it, social engineering? Yeah, basically uh, engineering your behavior. Kind of a cool thing. Thank God Google's doing that. Uh, let's have a look at some of the uh, the stories uh, out in the tech world right now. This is a really important one. If you are a Netflix uh, user, this is a story that uh, you have to know about and you've got to tell your friends about. There's a big uh, email scam going on right now that is targeting Netflix account holders and it looks super real. Yeah, so this is a scam that we typically will call something like, we call it spear phishing because it is a phishing attack, which is where somebody, somebody pretends to be somebody they're not. In this case, they're pretending to be uh, Netflix, but they actually have a, enough of a look and feel or enough of your personal data to make it look like this is actually targeted towards you. So with this particular attack, they are suggesting that you need to make some changes to your account and uh, they basically get you to log in. But it looks very real. Like it even looks like it's a secure website. Yeah. And so essentially they're saying that you need to update your payment details. So what do you do? You take out your credit card, you punch your credit card in and guess what? They got your credit card. They got your credit card. So this obviously is not great. If you have been taken advantage of by something like this, uh, spear phishing is not a lot of fun because uh, typically you are putting in your name, your address, your credit card number, your telephone number, and your email address. So uh, guess what? They've got everything that they need to start making purchases on your behalf. So what's your advice to the listeners out there? I mean, we're always uh, saying, you know, beware of these types of things. Never respond to an email and enter in your password or credit card information. Is there more you can do really? Literally stop clicking on links in your email. If there is a story that you want to go to, go to the newspaper or the uh, television show's website and look for it there. If it's coming from your bank, go to your bank's website and log in that way. If it is Netflix, go to Netflix and log in there. Stop people clicking on links in your email. You're killing me. Because that's where it all goes to hell. That's where it all goes down, right? And because these links look legit. In a lot of cases, the web addresses will look somewhat legit. Um, You can do yourself a favor by looking at the top of the screen. And typically you'll either see like a lock or another symbol beside the web address that will let you can click on and it will let you know who owns the certificate for this page because um, most web traffic now is going through HTTPS. So it needs one of these certificates for uh, transactions like this. Um, And if you don't see that lock there, Absolutely do not send your password. Do not uh, put your credit card number through. If that lock's not there, don't do it. But most of all, stop clicking on links in email. You are absolutely doing yourself a disservice every time you do. <laughs> am, I, am I passionate about this yet? I think you are. <laughs> uh, accessibility is uh, big in the news. There's, uh, I, f- I forget what day is accessibility day. Uh, we'll have to look that up here quickly. <laughs> Uh, but Microsoft has uh, revealed a new customizable accessibility-minded Xbox One controller. This is actually a very cool-looking controller that I think can really benefit people that have accessibility issues. Yeah, so the thing here is actually not that this is just a controller, because it is a fairly decent, basic, entry-level controller. It's got a D-pad on it. It's got two buttons on it. It's got a USB uh, port on the side where you can plug in things like joysticks and whatnot. But on the back of it are 35 3.5-millimeter jacks, basically like the same type of jack that you'd plug a set of headphones into. 
And the reason is that across the board, uh, all of your third-party switches um, and other sensory input devices, uh, they use this 3.5 millimeter jack. And so all of these jacks are now tuned to a different uh, type of control scheme on the Xbox controller. Which means that if you're using something like, uh, for example, there are buttons that um, you can put on the side of a table. So say, for example, you don't have use of your arms. It can have a button on the left and a button on the right that you can move your knee back and forwards between and you can steer left and right. Um, you can use a uh, rock band drum pedal, which connects again through the 3.5 millimeter jack to act like a gas pedal in games. Um, and so this controller sells, well, this hub essentially sells for $100 and all of the, uh, you know, expensive custom controllers out there that people have, have custom made can plug into this, but they, they also will use standard off the shelf buttons and switches. So for people with accessibility issues, this is absolutely uh, game changing. If you'll pardon the pun, like this is a huge, huge entry into the market. One of the things I really love, though, is that Phil Spencer over at Xbox uh, has said that they're not doing this for PR. They're not doing this for profit. They're actually opening this design up. So Sony and Microsoft and uh, PC developers could actually use this device to help make their own systems even more accessible, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I love that. That is fantastic. And it's cool looking. It's a very cool looking piece of hardware. They've done some great testing on this. There's a really cool video that they've put out as well that shows you just how important this is and, uh, you know, how much work they've put into it. They're treating this like a, you know, a, a product that should be profitable for them, putting the same amount of effort into it really just to make the world a better place. So honestly, big ups to Microsoft on this one. Big, uh, big applause. Well done. I have to apologize. I didn't know what uh, day was Global Accessibility Awareness Day, but it was May 17th, which was Thursday. Yeah. But, uh, you know, continuing to uh, uh, report on all these types of technologies that uh, can help uh, people with uh, accessibility needs. Uh, you heard about this red phone. Yeah. It's an Android phone. Uh, it's been hyped in the news uh, over the past year. It's supposed to be the one with the first holographic display. And now they've given a release uh, timeframe. It'll be available this summer. Well, that's very exciting. I'm, I'm curious to see. I mean, we've had a couple of decent entries in the Android market over the last little while. Uh, Samsung obviously keeps coming to the, the fore with uh, some good stuff with the S9. Uh, LG's put, up, put out a bunch of great new phones. Uh, it's exciting to have a new player in the market. This, again, is from a company called Red, and uh, it's Red's hydrogen phone. And it will be the first phone with a full holographic display. I don't know what that looks like, if that's going to be even appealing to people. We've seen a lot of these kind of gimmicks before. Remember the Amazon Fire phone? Yeah. I forget was... what gimmick that was. It just didn't Well, it, it had the, the multiple cameras to give you that 3D appearance. Yes. I mean, it's interesting. Amazon's kind of curious. I keep seeing the Fire tablet selling for like 49 bucks. And, you know, despite the fact that it's $49, I still don't really want one. <laughs> no. No, well, I mean, it's it's this $49 Android tablet, which most tablet apps are going to be better on iPad. It's just a straight up fact. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's got ads on the lock screen, which is just, I really don't need in my life. You sure? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, maybe some advertising would change my mind. We still have so much to talk about on Get Connected today. Uh, we will be uh, chatting uh, about some smart light switches. These are really cool. They've really come a, f a long way and... I've actually had a chance to install some of them in my house and they work. We'll have a guest on talking about uh, how they can also be voice controlled. We'll uh, also be looking at the new Google Max Intelligent Home Speaker and uh, Google getting into social engineering. This is really an important story that you have to stay tuned for because it can affect all of us and, and maybe not in uh, a good way. 
You're listening to Get Connected. Mike Agarbo and Graham Williams in here today. Brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back right after this with more Tech to Talk. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Got a really cool uh, topic to talk about now. Uh, we have been chatting uh, during the shows uh, about smart home technology. Uh, recently uh, wanted to try out some of the smart switches, the light switches that are available out there. Being a tech guy, I kind of went traditionally uh, and researched some of the tech names I know. Uh, but uh, after doing a bunch of homework, uh, one name consistently came up as uh, one of the best uh, smart home switch providers out there, a company called Leviton. And uh, online right now, we've got uh, Greg Rhodes. He's the director of marketing there. Thanks uh, for joining us today, Greg. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. You're getting good buzz out on the internet. Congratulations. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been a, about a, a year since we've launched this product set, and we've won, gosh, probably close to two dozen awards. We've been with USA Today saying it was the best smart switch for Amazon Alexa, which is amazing. Well, let's start off just uh, by telling our listeners quickly about uh, Leviton. It's not a name, uh, to be honest, that I had heard of before researching the smart switches. Sure. No, exactly. I mean, and, and really, Leviton has a, has a proud heritage in lighting control, and, and that's where we bring our expertise from. So it's actually a 112-year-strong manufacturer uh, based in New York, in, inside the States. And while we're not well-known in the tech space necessarily, we are in the majority of U.S. homes. So we manufacture 2.5 million devices every single day, and we're the brand preferred by professionals. Very interesting. And, uh, uh, let's yeah, talk absolutely. about really, uh, to give kind of a, kind of a history about that. Let me let me back up a little bit as well. That 112 year history, you know, we've been controlling lighting since before there was a light switch. Uh, our first product back in 1906 was regulating the amount of light inside of gas lanterns with a brass mantle tip, and then in 1910, uh, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Edison, some of us may recognize that name, uh, came out with a light bulb, but didn't have a great way to get it into our houses. So our first electrical product back in 1910 was that pull chain lamp holder that we see in our closets and our attics still to this day. So you know electricity? We, we've been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get to the smart switches, uh, what are kind of some of the general uh, smart home uh, products that you guys make? Yeah, absolutely. So really, you know, Leviton has a heritage kind of in your higher-end home automation. Uh, for the past 30 years, actually, we've, we've been doing this in kind of your, your estates and, and your large residences for your titans of industries and celebrities. And then, you know, a few years ago, I guess probably 12 years ago, wireless uh, automation came out, and we started playing in that game, and, and, it, and it brought it down to be more affordable. Uh, but really, with the onslaught of voice control, we have focused on lighting and load control from an app. It's, it's easier and more affordable than ever. Well, let's talk about some of the, the smart light switches uh, you have. We, we all have switches or light switches uh, in our home. Uh, I wanted to kind of take mine to the next level. I'm excited about all the, the app technology and, like you said, the voice uh, uh, technology. Uh, what, what are some things that people should look for when they're looking for a new uh, smart light switch? Yeah, of course. Uh, really, you know, the way that I like to say it is kind of think of Leviton as the good year of the smart home. We're really aligning ourselves with the products and name brands that, that retailers and consumers know and trust. And, and we don't really care who you're attaching it to. It could be Amazon or Google or Samsung or Apple. They're, they're all in the smart home space today. And for those that are kind of more astute, that would be protocols such as Z-Wave and Zigbee and Wi-Fi and, and Apple HomeKit. So, uh, we've certainly been creating Z-Wave for a long time, and, and I think that Wi-Fi is kind of the, the wave of the future. So that's really kind of what we offer. And as far as what they should look for, 
you know, there, there's a number of different things. I mean, certainly we want to uh, install devices in our homes from a trusted company with experience, and uh, especially when you're dealing with your data, your privacy, your home, your family, your prized possessions, you want to make sure that that company is going to be around, that they're going to be supporting those products with a, with a nice, well-rounded portfolio of partners and growing products and more things to add and connect inside of your house. It was interesting because uh, when I told my wife that I was uh, looking at upgrading our uh, light switches uh, in our home, she was dead set against it because, uh, you know, with so many different technologies out there, uh, you know, you typically find that they kind of work 80% of the time or 90% of the time, and you don't want that with light switches. Uh, so I guess one of the things that appealed to me is that it did have the smart capability built in, but if everything else fails, there's still just a regular light switch. Yes, I, I love that fact, actually. You know, these devices are truly smart. There, there's a little brain inside of each one of these devices uh, whereby the clock and a schedule actually reside. So to your point, even if my Wi-Fi goes down, uh, that light switch that's controlling the front porch light still knows it's the light switch controlling the front porch light and still knows, okay, it's Sunday at 7 a.m., I'm supposed to go to 50%. Uh, and all of your light switches and plug outlets can, can actually do that. So it's really nice that, again, not only can they function still in a smart manner, but even if it's not in a smart manner, I, I want my family and friends to be able to come into my home and to be able to recognize and use a familiar-looking device, something that doesn't look goofy or have 75 LEDs on it. or <laughs> I want it to be something that they recognize uh, and that they're able to put side-by-side side with a non-intelligent device. Because while certainly Leviton wants you to automate every light switch, uh, that may not be feasible at this time. And so we recognize that, especially in a kitchen, let's say, you could have a bank of three non-intelligent, non-communicating devices, and then maybe you start with one, and side-by-side side, they look identical. Yeah, what uh, what I liked about um, uh, your your switches as well is uh, how easy the install was. And let's just get this straight. I didn't install the electrical part myself. I brought in uh, an electrician, uh, but he had never really had any experience with installing smart switches before, but it was a really straightforward install from that perspective. Uh, but what I loved is when I had to set it up with the app, it actually worked the first time. I've installed a lot of this stuff before, and I find so many times it takes several times for it to actually kick in. But your stuff installed uh, through the app anyway very easily. Yeah, that, that's correct. And, and really, that, that goes back to our heritage. You know, we've been making apps since before there was an app, actually, and in software and firmware that lives in each device. And that's, that's where Leviton brings some expertise to the table as well. So, yeah, we, we want those pieces and parts fluid and to be easy to, to get up and running. And, and thank you for, for hiring an electrician. They have done an amazing job over our 112-year heritage, you know, really being the preferred installer product. Certainly DIYers can do it. Uh, we have how-to videos. We've got plenty of support materials out there that, that can guide those individuals, those weekend warriors, if you will, to, uh, to certainly install products in their own homes. But, but we really love electricians. They can tie everything together, make sure everything's properly and safely installed. So you talked about the different switches that you have available because there's, uh, you know, obviously some different standards out there. Uh, you talked about HomeKit. So if you're in the Apple camp, definitely have a look at that. I went for the Wi-Fi version uh, that you guys have. Uh, you don't have to install any other hubs or anything like that. It's just the switch itself and, and the app. But what I liked is that it integrated with uh, Amazon uh, Alexa and also Google Home, which I actually have both of those uh, systems in my house. So now... Uh, I can control the lights either through the app, but I guess what I really liked was that I can control them with my voice. I can tell Google, 
uh, basically to turn on the kitchen lights or a specific kitchen light. And I can turn, you know, tell to turn it off. It's simply amazing. It's like living in the Jetsons age. It really is. You know, I mean, that, that has made it so comfortable for us to be able to control whether it's the table lamp next to us or turning every light off at the end of the night without having to run up and down the stairs or trip on children's toys or, or any of those things that, that we don't want to do at night. Uh, and, and just being able to talk to your device and actually have it respond is, is pretty incredible. You know, I think all you our TV, nothing ever happens. But when we talk to our light switches, they can go up and down, which is pretty wild. Uh, and it's pretty simple to make that occur kind of install the device, as you said, get the app up and running, and, and then start talking to Alexa or Google. One important thing that I really wanted to make the listeners aware of, because I know more and more people, you know, they've been asking me about smart light switches, what kind they should get. Something I learned, uh, because I'm not an electrician, uh, in my house, for example, there's two light switches in my kitchen that control the, uh, the main kitchen light. Uh, and that's called, I, I believe, a three-way switch. And so you have to be careful which kind of smart switches you buy because a lot of them on the market will only work with one switch. They won't work with the dual switch setup. But let's use a stairway example whereby at the top of the stairs and the bottom of the stairs, both of those light switches are controlling the same set of fixtures. And uh, just makes it convenient for the end user, right? But as a lighting control company, uh, we certainly make that very easy, very affordable to execute. And, uh, yeah, again, that way you can have smart control from kind of both sides of the equation there. Leviton can, can do not only three-way, but we call it multi-location because I think we go up to nine different locations. We've been talking with Greg Rhodes from Leviton. You can find out more information at leviton.com. Uh, about all their different smart home technologies. When we come back from the break, is Google doing some self-engineering on on humans? And uh, we'll also have a look at the Google Max. It's kind of a, a Google show. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, continuing our, our smart home Talks, uh, want to have a look at the new Google Home Max that has been released here in Canada. This is the latest smart home speaker from Google that takes music to the max. On the line, we've got our uh, smart uh, speaker expert, Brian Jackson from IT World Canada. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Yeah, happy to be here, Mike. The Google Home Max, uh, I'm uh, fascinated to hear your take on it. We actually got one into our studio as well. What do you think? Well, I think it's really loud, and I, I think the sound quality is great. Actually, I've been really happy with the Google Home Max as a versatile smart speaker that does everything that Google Home does, you know, obviously connecting to the Google Assistant. All those features are the same, but it's just a much higher quality experience, much bigger speaker that delivers more power and actually more functionality because it just has something as simple as an auxiliary input on the back of the speaker. So I connected my TV to it and I've been using it as a sound bar and I've been pretty happy with that. Interesting. So uh, in the Google Home uh, family, they've uh, got the Google Home Mini, which is typically under $100. Uh, then there's the Google Home that started at all kind of the mid-level one, uh, typically around the 100 and $170 mark, uh, depending right. what uh, you know who has it on sale. And Google Max, uh, much larger. This is kind of like a really kind of premium speaker. What price point are we looking at here in Canada? We're looking at $500. So Woof. it really is a, a big step up in terms of the money you're spending. And that's why I recommend uh, that this speaker is only really necessary if you're looking for two things. First of all, you're in need of a great speaker to play music from in your house. 
And second of all, you need a smart speaker. So if you already have a great speaker in your house and you just want the smart speaker functionality, get a Google Home Mini or an Echo Dot, and you can connect that device uh, through an aux input or through a Chromecast hookup, and then you can use the great speaker you already have uh, and get the smart speaker functionality through that. So that's much less money. But if you need both things, then yeah, this is a scenario where you might consider buying something like this. It's interesting. Uh, do you see them really competing against the multi-room systems out there? I mean, Sonos would come to mind. They're kind of the, the, the granddaddy of uh, multi-room music systems. Uh, is this speaker good enough to go up against those guys? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and there's the Sonus one, I think, is half the price of this. So, you know, I think some people might have a tough time buying one Google Home Max when they could get, like, two Sonus One speakers, say, or even just several Google normal Google Home speakers to outfit their whole home with um, a multi-room audio setup. But, if you know, you could imagine that if you're, Say, give, say you're in my situation where I didn't, I didn't really have a great TV sound sound bar, and um, if you didn't have a smart speaker in your living room either, then you could buy this, and uh, it's about the price of a good TV sound bar, and now you have both things uh, it, all packaged in one clean device. It's pretty big, though, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite big. I mean, it. I think it's something like 110 centimeters Across? No, that would be too big. But that's a meter. <laughs> Sorry, I don't have the dimensions here in front of me. But it, it's about the size of my forearm, let's say, and um, it's you know several. You could line up several Google Homes across it. So I, I was able to fit it into my TV cabinet uh, underneath my TV. So. Uh, that worked for me, but you do have to be uh, conscious of where you place this. Now, one nice thing is that it can go in the horizontal or vertical position. So either way that you place it, it will uh, play audio effectively. But if you place it in the vertical position, you only get the mono sound. Obviously, you don't want that left and right channel playing uh, when you, you have a vertical alignment, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I just looked up the uh, the dimensions. It's like thirteen by seven by six uh, inches. So, uh, not not a go. not a meter, but <laughs> still, it's uh, it's yeah. this. <laughs> and this thing is heavy. Like it's like made out of lead almost. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, what is it? Eleven pounds if you have the dimensions in there. So yeah, it's hefty. You can need a serious shelf to put it on. You you can't just throw it on on anything. Um, and it, it comes with a rubber pad to prevent it from causing too many vibrations because the, it really is powerful. And, and the bass com- that comes from it is way louder than I need for, for my room. And um, it can overwhelm uh, the, the the room that you're in if it, unless you are uh, have some sort of huge expansive house. <laughs> but um, yeah, you got to be conscious of, of where you place this thing. Yeah, we tried it out in our studio, uh, mm. and uh, I think our studio is around twelve hundred square feet, uh, and it just the sound just killed, man. It was huge. So uh, again, yeah. uh, I think uh, obviously if you're a, a, a sound or audio enthusiast, definitely uh, everything from a, a condo to uh, a large large room in your house, or uh, even if you put it out in the porch for a party, 
uh, you know, that would be great. Keep in mind, it's not waterproof, so definitely. take, take, it, take yeah, it in. This is definitely party-friendly. You're right, it's not waterproof, so <laughs> keep that in mind. But, yeah, you could easily power your party with a Google Home Max. You think this is a shot uh, across uh, Apple's bow with their uh, their HomePod speaker? No, no doubt it is. And um, you know, if you look at what Google has in the marketplace, they sort of had the Home Mini, which lines up perfectly with the Echo Dot, and the Google Home is like the middle of the road, right, uh, akin to the Echo. Um, normal unit. And then the Home Max lines up perfectly with the HomePod. Now, of course, Google managed to beat Apple to the market with the uh, Max speaker, both in the U.S. and now also in Canada here. So uh, that definitely gives them um, the advantage in terms of getting to people's wallets. You know, those eager, those people who are eagerly awaiting a product like this, like a high-end smart speaker, I, they, this might convince them to get in on the Google ecosystem because now you can go and buy every component you need and outfit your home. Uh, you know, you don't have to wait around for uh, a HomePod. That was Brian Jackson from IT World Canada talking about the new Google Max smart speaker. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thanks for having me. When we come back from the break, we will be chatting about uh, Google once more and uh, how they're maybe engaging in some social engineering. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, Graham Williams with me today. Uh, Graham, I came across uh, this story. You actually brought it to my attention uh, Google might be engaging in some unsettling social engineering with their technology. Explain to us what that means and why we should be concerned. So this was actually a story that was broken by The Verge on Thursday. It was about a video made in 2016 by a, a fellow who works for Google called Nick Foster, the uh, head of design at X, which used to be called Google X. This is part of Alphabet, which is the uh, Google family of companies. And uh, he's the co-founder of Near Future Laboratory. And so this is a nine-minute-long video. It's beautifully shot, beautifully put together, and narrated with this fantastic British accent that goes on uh, about basically socially engineering ourselves through the use of our mobile devices in order to essentially create uh, you know, more, a more goal-oriented way of going about things. So they call this video The Selfish Ledger. And the idea here is that all of the data connect, uh, collected by your devices, this is, they're calling it a ledger, uh, is a bundle of information that can be passed on not only from yourself to your future self, but yourself to the community at large. So the idea here is that Google would use AI to analyze all of this data, figure out what your intentions are. So let's say, for example, uh, I wanted to lose some weight. Uh, and so I wanted to live more healthy. I would start to, I would tell uh, you know my device this, and it would start to, basically shape the data that I see, uh, make recommendations on perhaps places to eat, whether or not to catch an Uber or take the train or walk, uh, make recommendations on, uh, you know, different things to shop for at the grocery store, uh, and essentially try to influence my behavior that way in order to get me closer to my goal. You know, one of the things that they showed in this video was, uh, you know, they didn't have a data point. Uh, in, this, in this case, the user, uh, they didn't have the user's weight. So, the AI actually went out and searched for the perfect scale for them, couldn't find it, so then uh, looked at creating a bespoke solution uh, by creating a scale through 3D printing and CNC milling, and then had that sent to the end user. This all seems pretty cool, right? 
no. <laughs> kind of in a weird way, yes, but no, it's like going too deep. Well, and so this is this is the next step is, you know, you've declared your intent, you've declared your goals. You know, what they're proposing, and this is kind of where it gets a little icky, is that eventually the system would learn you so well that it would begin to propose the next set of goals for you and would begin to shape uh, you know, it's in, it shaped your intent based on what it thinks would be best for you. This is kind of, I think, where we're getting into a future where you're looking at it going, uh, Google, guys, um, maybe just fire the retro rockets here, slow down just a bit, because now you're getting into a place where we're pretending or we're suggesting that machines know better than we do. And that, to me, is a little frightening. I know, but how do you stop this train? Like... I mean, they're doing this now. They're getting all this information. While I know that, uh, you know, their, uh, I guess, motivations are uh, good in intention, but at the same time, who's policing that? I love the fact that, you know, yes, it could actually help me set goals to eat better. You know, hey, Mike, uh, instead of going to McDonald's, uh, you know, Whole Foods here has got some great organic bananas uh, on sale today. I don't know if I would do that, but. Um, <laughs> but they could also start getting you to use their... Uh, services and software more, like Google, for example. Absolutely. So, I mean, we've seen this over the course of the last few years with Facebook, where, you know, the intent has been to get you to use Facebook more. They've gamified the system. Um, they've gone through sort of the, uh, the the response that we get uh, when, we, when we have something satisfactory happen to us on Facebook. When we get a like, we get this little sort of boost of chemicals in our body that says, hey, I like that. Um, so we've seen nefarious purposes here where it's like, suck this person into this ecosystem and use it more often. We have seen that over the course of the last two years. And we have seen that we can't trust companies with this kind of data. I mean, with Cambridge Analytica, we saw that Facebook sold our data to a firm that was looking to influence how we behave and act. So, you know, you asked earlier, like, what can we do about this? Now, I, I posted on social media a little bit of a diatribe about this. And what I said was, it is absolutely important going forwards that software in general and behavioral algorithms in specific, they must be open source. And what open source means is that we can look at the code because that's where basically everyone can take a look at something and say, you know what, yes, this is actually being used for nefarious purposes or no, we can actually see how the machine works. As soon as you can see under the hood, we actually have a little bit more accountability on everyone's behalf. Um, this is something that's in incredibly important. It's actually becoming a more and more popular issue. The, the state of New York is now actually analyzing uh, algorithms to see if there is inherent discrimination in them. And we've actually seen that in the past where, uh, you know, people are designing for themselves. They don't necessarily think of other people. Um, famously, Google Photos had difficulty determining um, through AI people uh, pictures of people of color. And so this was something that didn't come up in their testing for whatever reason. But this is all, all white people designing? I, I, I would suppose so. So after it launched, you know, it became a massive issue where it's like, hey, guys, and girls and everyone, you know, there's a bit of an issue here. So by open sourcing our software um, and by open sourcing these algorithms, algorithms in specific, and perhaps suggesting that there might need to be third party or even governmental oversight. Uh, I, think, that, I think there has to be. There has to be, yeah. Um, this is something that... This can go sideways really quickly. We've seen it with Facebook. We've seen it with Google. Yeah. You know, as much as we... Because you've got a bunch of kids running it and they're not thinking of these things. And I, I mean, I would say inherently they're good people, but sometimes they just look at the end goal and they don't know how they got there. And, you know, we end up with people who are doing bad things for good reasons. So you talked about all this data being collected. I mean, Google obviously huge because they're basically the de facto search engine for the world now. We've seen how badly things went at Facebook, and who knows if we haven't even scratched the surface of that uh, issue. But then there's also companies like Amazon. 
they collect so much information. So many of us shop there now uh, online on Amazon. We also use their uh, their video and their music service, their storage service. The amount of data they have is incredible. But no one's really going after Amazon. Well, I mean, Donald Trump is to a certain degree because he really doesn't like the Washington Post. But no, Amazon actually is totally integrated into our lives. I've actually integrated something into my life that I like to call the Amazon timeout, which is whenever I put <laughs> anything into my Amazon cart, I walk away from it for 60 minutes. Oh, my God. I have to do that. Because <laughs> I'm just sitting there at night now. I'm like, oh, my God, I need this. I need some, you know what? I and, need some more paper towels. And with Prime, it just shows up yeah. and it's, it's miraculous, yeah. right? It's so the, the well, time I out. use a new speaker over here <laughs> and it's bad. So I've actually cut my Amazon purchases by about 40% in the last two months by just sitting on something and going, do I really need that? So, um, you know, like Google with uh, the selfish ledger, which is what they're calling this video, it really is a high-minded ideological thing. And I really like, I love kind of what they're doing. It's exciting, but it's also a little terrifying because they are talking about, you know, can we basically reshape the behavior of humanity to stamp out things like poverty? The challenge though, is that, you know, by doing this and by letting a corporation or letting an AI handle it, we are kind of starting to manipulate ourselves and we're avoiding free will to a degree. So being able to look at this openly, whether it's Amazon, whether it's Google, whether it's Facebook, I think is the most important aspect of this. If you haven't seen The Selfish Ledger, um, I would actually just remind, I would, <laughs> you can Google it, of course. Um, so then, then they know, then Google knows that you're on to them. They know that, you know, I mean, we, we saw this, what was it, Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier? You know, you're the ones in the know. They're coming after you now. Yes. So, um I would say that, uh, yeah, take, take a look at this video. It's nine minutes, and I would say it's absolutely worth your time. The Selfish Ledger. Google it so that they know. <laughs> when we come back from the break, our app of the week. Stay tuned. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. It's that time of the show. It's app of the week. And this is brought to you by our... Sunday show called The App Show. If you want to find out the best apps for your iPhone, iPad, Android, smart tablet, or phone, or smart TV, you got to tune into that program. Every Sunday here on CKNW 980, between 10 and 11 in the morning, and it also goes out across the Chorus Radio Network. What app do we have this week, Graham? So this one's kind of a fun one. This is an app called Rec Studio. So if you've ever thought about doing a podcast, this is sort of a, a one-stop shop for you. Instead of having to uh, record your podcast, then edit it for audio and add you know transitions and whatnot in there, and then publish it online, um, Rec Studio does all of this for you, starting from about $7.99 a month. Um, that's for 45 minutes of live broadcast. And basically, when you start it up, you can set up your profile, you can set up your podcast name, and then you can hit the big red button with record. And uh, you know, on the right-hand side, you can actually broadcast live. So you can podcast and broadcast live. But where's it broadcasting to? It's actually broadcasting on their uh, on their Rec network. Okay. Um, so basically, and you can give people a link where they can listen live as well. So they can just listen in their browser. Um, you can add some songs in there. So if you've got some uh, some stingers and some music, you can put that in there. And then there are some uh, sound effects like laughter, applause, mystery noises, that sort of thing. And uh, you can create your podcast that way. Um, after the fact, it will store it on that uh, on that server, and you can get you know um, up to 500 hours of storage at the twenty seven twenty seven dollar a month plan, unlimited storage for a, a slightly larger one. But that basically is your one-stop shop for creating all of your podcast needs in a cool app. So I started recording a uh, new podcast. I, I bought a new car not too long ago. And so I started recording a podcast about my mini. 
because uh, there's a huge uh, community of mini enthusiasts out there. And yeah, so you guys are weird. We're we're very weird. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do we do the wave and, and whatnot. You guys love so. your cars way too much. We really do. Yeah. It's uh, you know it's, I was very surprised. And now, a, now you got a damn podcast about it. Uh, well, precisely, and this is kind of the thing. So I, I'm I'm broadcasting live from there, and I get a couple of people listening live, but I get lots of listens after the fact, which is really neat. So that is our app of the week. It is Rec Studio. I'm teasing. They're great cars. I, I like I, it a lot. I just don't want all the emails from the mini, <laughs> the mini people out there. The, the League of Extraordinary Miniacs. I kid you not, that is the name of one of the clubs. Of course it is. Right? That's all the time we have left for Get Connected. I want to thank Graham Williams uh, for helping me out today. Mike and Graham logging off. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.